0: Father, we do want to make it all about Jesus rather than about ourselves. Lord, we live in a world that seems to be focused on us, seems to be centered around what we want um, and what makes us happy. But the calling in our lives is to follow you and you alone, to not look to our own self, to not look to our own desires, but to look to you as the God who created us, who loves us, who put us here with a reason and purpose in this world. Father, that our lives would glorify you, not glorify ourselves, but would glorify you. And we pray that we would be those kind of people. Lord, as we talk about thanks and thanksgiving, Father, we just want to thank you for so much that you've done in our lives. Yeah, I know you put food on our table. You know, you give us churches and stuff like that. But when we think about all the things that you've done for us, Lord, there's so much that we don't see. How even when we rebel against you and reject you, you are constantly pulling us back to yourself. How you love us even when we fall, and even when we make mistakes, that you are calling us back to yourself. Lord, that above all else that you want relationship with us and you work tirelessly to make that happen, we thank you for that. God, tonight we're just going to take a moment because I know that we all rebel and we all are broken and we all make mistakes. We're just going to go to you and ask for forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Let's just take a moment right now. Father, forgive us those things. And again, we come before you tonight desiring to be a part of your body, of your community. Lord, as we talk about this difficult issue tonight, Father, may we be challenged to live in community with each other. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in our lives, guiding us and encouraging us and helping us to love each other and to forgive each other. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Peppermint Patty. Hi, Franklin. Hi, Marcy. Hi, Chuck. Thanksgiving, you know. Before we're served, shouldn't we say grace? In the year 1621, the Pilgrims held their first Thanksgiving feast. They invited the great Indian chief, Massasoit, who brought 90 of his brave Indians and a great abundance of food. Governor William Bradford and Captain Miles Standish were honored guests. Elder William Brewster, who was a minister, said a prayer that went something like this. We thank God for our homes and our food and our safety in a new land. We thank God for the opportunity to create a new world for freedom and justice. Amen. had cooked all this. What kind of a Thanksgiving dinner is this? Where's the turkey, Chuck? Don't you know anything about Thanksgiving dinners? Where's the mashed potatoes? Where's the cranberry sauce? Where's the pumpkin pie? You were kind of rough on Charlie Brown, weren't you, sir? Rough? Look at this. Is this what you call a Thanksgiving Day dinner? Did we come? Up <laughs> I think we can get the get the point from there. How many of you guys have ever seen that clip before? All of us? Most of us? Oh no. Okay. All right. Well. Anyway, they show that on uh, Peanuts. On uh, they used to show it on TV every single holiday, basically. And so, I grew up always watching it. And uh, when I when we were watching it with my kids this year. Um, this week, I realized that sort of it's a great picture of the church in a way because the church is a lot of people that come together. You do your prayer and you do the religious thing and then we all fight and don't get along, right? I mean, because we didn't get what we wanted or we didn't have it this way. So I thought that would be a good introduction to what I'm going to be talking about um, tonight, which is community. And uh, the difficulty of talking about community is that community in the Bible is an ideal. It's not something that where the Bible says biblical community is this. And so defining biblical community is quite difficult, in my opinion. It's, you know, when we talk about sin, sin is easy. It's kind of one of those things, you know, that was a series I did last three weeks. And sin is a little easier because we can use word pictures and we can kind of explain what the Bible says. But community is quite different. So we're going to talk about this tonight. Um, Togetherness, what togetherness means from a biblical context. Talk about it. I'm going to just share some ideas. I had a hard time even coming up with points for this, you know, trying to fit it into any semblance of a sermon, but that's okay. We're going to try. We're going to look at Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 and see what it says and just kind of reflect down through here, although you guys will get the best because, like I said, I had two services to mess it up and to practice, and so we're going to look at what it is. So our special topic just for this week is understanding community, or a better definition would be just some thoughts about community. Um, biblical community, healthy, good, biblical community. All right, uh, let's see what the Bible says. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 at the very end, and then Ephesians chapter 4 at the very beginning. That whole section of Ephesians deals with living together in the church, um, being a part of the church, being a part of the body of Christ. And, of course, let me just point out one of the hard things as you're flipping to Ephesians 2 about doing uh, biblical community is that the Bible talks and gives lots of examples of biblical community in what kind of light? What is the New Testament? When the New Testament talks about biblical community, what does it talk about? All the problems that people were having, (laughs) right? They gave examples, lots of examples of how not to do it, right? And not so many examples of how to do it. But we're going to talk about this, again, Ephesians 2 and uh, 4. All right, let's see what the Bible says here. I'm going to flip open there myself. I'm going to put my finger in it. We're going to talk about it tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, there we go. Um, in chapter 4. Alright, here's what the Bible says. Talking about Christians here. Believers in Christ, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by a spirit. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. This is in chapter 4, sorry. Uh, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. All right, let's talk about this here and how it affects us. Like I said, I had a hard time even coming up with points this week because it's kind of a rumination, kind of a thought about this. And about what the Bible has to say. First of all is that we are now part of the same family. I didn't ha- we didn't even do notes. I was gone most of the week, so I apologize for that. But uh, you can just make notes in your bulletin. Just think about, you know, what we had before we had notes. And, you know, we'll have to get by that way. So we are now part of the same family. This is really critical because when we become a believer in Christ, that we become a part of his family. Now, let me start out by boring all of you and putting all of you to sleep. Because I know I saw everybody's faces. In the first two services, maybe I'll do this, uh, the introduction here, standing on my head so you guys don't, won't fall asleep, okay? But here's the thing. Um, I have to say this because it's really critical because in the world, and even on TV or in the church world sometimes, in Christendom, we get this impression that we become a part of the church first. We become part of community, and that's the way that we know God. However, I'm going to argue with you and tell you tonight that that is not a biblical truth, okay? What happens is that for us to be a part of the family of God, we must first have relationship with God first, okay? Then we come into the family. Let me give you some examples of this. And again, I know this is the point that's going to put everybody to sleep. When we commit to God, we are adopted into his family. Paul says here, starting in verse 19, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Okay. So what happens is, is that when we um, choose to follow Jesus, when we come to that point in time in our lives where we commit our life to Jesus, then the Bible describes one of the words or images it uses to describe how that occurs is that we are adopted into the family of God. We are children of God, but only by adoption, according to the Bible. Okay, So we are adopted into the family. Now, if we, let's say that we all decide tonight that we're going to go to adoption agency and we're going to adopt someone. Okay, We go, we're going to adopt a child. If we go meet with that child, we hang out with that child, we fellowship with that child, we do family things with that child but we actually never adopted that child, that child is still not a part of our family, okay? We're just doing family-type things with that child. Um, For that child to actually be in our family, we must actually adopt that child, okay? Now, in the same way, for us to be a part of the family of God, for us to truly be children of God, we have to be adopted in the family. For that adoption to occur, we must have relationship with God, okay? Now, let me explain why all this matters. All this matters, again, as I said, because there's a myth in our world that says come and be a part of the family of God. And by being a part of it, then you will be in the family. But that's a problem. And that's a problem because we see over and over again, if you look in the average church, lots of people who come to church on Sunday morning, they'll sing, they'll raise their hands, they'll even they'll pray, they'll do all that stuff. They have no relationship with God And when they stand before God, when they pass from this world, they'll say, well, I went to church. You know, I was in the family. You can't, how can you say anything bad about me? But it is a necessity that we become um, children of God by adoption through believing in Jesus Christ. That is what allows us entrance into the family. Now, again, without naming names, I won't do that tonight. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. There are actually churches, and churches loosely, you know, that even will teach. Come in. Just be a part of the church. Don't worry about the Jesus thing. Work that out later. Um, But the problem there is that you still have to have Jesus. He is the one that opens the door for you to be a part of the family of God. Okay. So what that means is, is that as the Bible says, that God is carefully fitting together those who have been adopted Um, it's carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So if we have been adopted into the family of God, then when we commit ourselves to God and our relationship to him through Jesus Christ, that when we come into the family, that at that point God is putting us together into his family, that we are in the body of Christ. We are then the church, in a sense, and in the real, very biblical, literal definition of that word. We're part of the same family. So here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that when we commit our lives to God, that we are actually, in a sense, leaving from the Bible. We are leaving our old family, and we are becoming a part of a new family. Now, this is the reason why a lot of people tend to be very hesitant about becoming a committed believer in Christ. Because when you share the gospel with someone who is, say, a Sikh, someone who is a Muslim, someone who comes from a very different culture... They'll say, well, I, I would like to believe in Jesus, but I don't want to leave my culture. I want to still stay in my culture. And they fear the leaving of their old family for their new family. And yet that's what happens. Um, the Bible talks about the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, he even says to his own mom, you know, that this is now your family. The people of God are your family. So here's the cool thing, that when we become followers of Jesus, we get a new family. Um, and that new family is also are those people who are committed to the Lord and who are serving Him and are being built together as the people of God. Now, here's the thing, though. The family of God is a community, a communion of God's people. Let's talk about this. Um, on Sunday mornings, once a month for us at BBC, other times for other churches, we have something called Lord's Supper or communion, right? You know, when you take the, 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 the cracker and you take the, the juice, right? Uh, that we call communion. Why do we call it communion? Well, uh, communion, community... Similar ideal, right? It means the common good, us coming together for the common good. The reason why we call this communion is because the people of God are coming together to give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes churches call it the Eucharist, which means to give thanks. They call it communion because it's the people of God coming together to give thanks. The Lord's Supper because it's the supper that Jesus um, had with his disciples before he was crucified. And so this communion... Um, the Bible also talks about the communion of saints, meaning those people who are united together for the common good. And so the family of God is a community, a communion of God's people that's supposed to be united together. But here's the problem, and, and, and this, is, this is the very real problem. God's plan for us is to be, and I'm, when I say us, I mean us here at BBC, is for us to be a community together to be a family together. And the challenge when I, when I look around BVC is that we're all very different. I mean, I know it's a little harder in the evening services, but if you've ever been to the morning service and you look around, you know everyone's very different. We're different in ethnicity. We're different in gender. We're different in a socioeconomic background, right? And The thing is, is that where else in the world would you have such a diversity of people that you weren't paying them to come together? In fact, when I think about it, I think that the Bible is calling us to be the family together because we're in community, not because we're homogenized. Now, what what does homogenized mean? I used that in the first service, didn't define it. What does it mean to be homogenized? To be all the same, right? And, and we know when we go to uh, lots of churches that lots of churches throughout the world are homogenized, right? All the same people. They all make the same amount of money. They're all the same ethnicity. They all speak the same language. But here's the question I want to ask tonight. Is that a biblical view of community? Is homogenization community? Well, I would argue that it is not. In fact, um, as the example I gave the last two services, um, I grew up in a church that was all one race all once socioeconomic, and those people didn't get along at all, you know? So what hope do we have here at BBC to get along and to love each other, as God has called us to love each other, when we speak a bunch of different languages and we all come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and different cultures and everything, except for the power of God. And, and, and I, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I've come to believe very strongly that homogenation for the church is bad. Just being in a church with people that you tolerate because they're like you is not what God calls us to be. Going to a church where we just tolerate people, whether we like them or not, that's not what God calls us to be either. But God calls us to actually be in communion, in community with each other. To actually have, the Bible use the word koinonia, which is a famous word, um, famous word in the original language too, to describe how we are to come together for the common purpose and the common good. The family is a community, a communion of God's people. I mean, again, the Bible says here that we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Why does, why does Paul mention Gentiles here? Anybody want to guess why, why he mentions Gentiles here? By the way, what does Gentiles mean? Let me see if I have some really smart folks. Anybody want to guess? I know it's only six of you here, nine or 12 or whatever, but anybody want to guess? Gentiles, what does it mean? Okay, good, very good. That's actually, that's very good. A lot of times in your Bible commentaries, you'll see it just mean Greek. But it doesn't really, I mean, Greek is sort of the general idea, but more specifically, it means non-Jews, and it could be any culture. I mean, it could, it could include any culture there. And so what Paul is saying here is that he's saying, listen, all the other nations, actually the word Gentile is really ethnos, ethnicity, where we get the word ethnicity. And so what Paul is saying here, all you different ethnicities, that God is working to build you into the kingdom too, not just Jewish people, but all people. And that there is an incredible amount of disagreement, even in the early church, between the different ethnicities. And that was the issue that they dealt with. Lots of issues in the New Testament that he dealt with. And so what happens is, is that God is calling us to put aside, you know, what we want and to work together for the common good to be the family of God. Let me ask you a question. Um, if you were alone in the world, if you had no biological family, would that be good or would that be bad? Now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, I don't like my family, so if I could get rid of them, that might be a good thing. But in general, having family, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think we'd all agree it's a good thing, right? We'd all agree it's a good thing. And so this is the problem, because many people buy into this idea that I can be a Christian without community, you know? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, in fact, at lunchtime, during lunch, I sat with a a group of BBCers, and they all told me, they all said, you know what, I have lots of friends who say, I believe in God, but I'm never going to go to church. But if God is intentionally calling us to be in community with each other, how are you going to do that sitting up on a mountaintop lighting a candle to something, right? Is that what God intends for us? And in fact, as I mentioned, uh, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, there's a famous, uh, there's a well-known pastor in Southern California who just wrote a book, it's very popular right now, um, where he talks about the fact that lukewarm Christians will not be in heaven. Now, I don't know if I agree with that, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, I I don't necessarily agree with that. But I think it's a very challenging idea, and he draws it from his look at Revelation where it talks about uh, the lukewarm church there. Um, And, you know, with us not being in community, as if we claim to be followers of Jesus, something is wrong there. Something is broken there. And I'm going to talk about why in just a second. But let's move on for a minute. We come together through Jesus. We come together through Jesus. See, the, the thing is, is that, as I mentioned, there's no way all of us would ever get together. I mean, just look around this room. Just with this small crowd, we would never be friends if we didn't know each other through Christ. I mean, you know, we would just never meet. We, you know, we would travel in different circles. I mean, we even speak different languages. You know, it just, it wouldn't happen. But the reason why we are able to come together and put aside our differences is because of Jesus. He is the one who is the uniting factor in our community think about your kids if you have kids for a second sometimes your kids fight sometimes they don't get along right and sometimes they're like ah you know leave me alone i don't want to be in your family and blah 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 or they say things and they don't talk and especially when they get older but the uniting factor in th- with your kids is you right because you're the parent and it's the same way christ is our parent in a sense he's the head of the church as the, as the bible says And so he is the thing that unites us. Not only is he the gate by which we have relationship with God and which we enter into biblical community with each other, but he is the head of that biblical community too. He, you know, takes on that role. And so he is the one who unifies us and brings us together. Again, this comes back to my original point, that without relationship with Christ, without knowing him and being committed to him, we cannot be a part of biblical community, that we cannot be really, really, really in community with other Christians because it requires him to open the door to that community. So our unity, our union, our togetherness, our koinonia, our commonality, our communion together only comes because of Jesus who opens the door for us to have community with each other. Now let's talk about why this is and how this works. We're called to live together in unity. This is what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible doesn't call us to be become a follower of Jesus and then go and never talk to anyone who's a Christian to go sit up on the hilltop and light our candles and do our own thing, but actually calls us to live together in unity. Let me read here um, Ephesians 4 because, like I said, I could have read 2 through 4. All three of these chapters deal a lot with this issue, but because of time, I can't. So if you're interested, go home and check it out. But at the beginning of 4, Paul says this. He says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because, oh, I lost it, Because of your love, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you may call it, the one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. So, here's the thing. We know from Hebrews chapter 10 that we are called to worship together regularly. You know, a lot of times it's easier. We look at the church and some people... Uh, have the opinion i'm never going to go to church and other people just come to church because they want to put in their dollar what is it in tagalog what's the expression where you just go and throw in your dollar and you're done right they want to just go throw in their dollar and we're done you know we've done our religious duty for the week but both of those are wrong because god calls us to have relationship with him and then be a part of the body of christ again it raises the question um i worry about those people who claim to be believers and yet never are a part of the body. You know why that's bad? Because we cannot experience unity with each other if we are not a part of the body of Christ. Let's talk about the good and the bad of that for a second. Unity means we must be able to forgive little things. Forgiveness is absolutely critical for those of us who are trying to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, right? Forgiveness is really where it's at. And, and, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, we go through life. People offend us, you know. We go to a Thanksgiving dinner, and they serve popcorn and pretzels and jelly beans, right? And we say, uh-uh, I am not eating that. We come to church, and the pastor preaches a message that we don't like, and we say, uh-uh, I am not doing that, right? And so what happens is, is that it is very easy for us to fall into the trap of church And biblical community is there to serve me, right? I mean, if we ask the average Christian, why did they pick a church? They oftentimes, well, never, I think, would the average Christian say, I chose that church because I felt I could serve in that church. The average Christian says, I picked that church because I liked what this did for me. I liked that they had you know, this ministry, or I like that they did this. And I know, because I ask people all the time, if somebody comes to BBC for a week or two, and then they, they, don't, they don't come back, I always ask them, well, you know, why not come back? Well, I like this, or I like that. And so, you know, that's human nature, but at the same time, God calls us to serve other people, and calls us to be unified with other people because of not what we can get out of it, but what we can get, but what we can give to them. And so let's talk about this issue of forgiveness, because forgiveness is very important in biblical community. Biblical community exists, and here's the blessing of it. It's two blessings. But it exists to do what? To support and encourage us, right? Again, let me ask, what would it be like to go through life with no biological family? it would be tough, right? I mean, it would be hard to have no one that you could count on. But at the same time, God has given us together that we can count on each other. I mean, I told the example, and sh- I guess she wasn't embarrassed by it, but, I mean, Helen lost everything in the fire that destroyed her home, couple weeks ago and uh you know everyone at bbc pitched in and everybody gave her something from a toaster oven to a bid to whatever to get her back on her feet well that's generosity that's unselfishness that's biblical community that's the way it's supposed to work because i mean if (laughs) if i you know if i didn't go to church with helen and she was not a follower of jesus and i would not follow jesus we don't have anything in common me and her nothing I i don't think you know and many of you that gave also don't have anything in common So there's one of the powers of biblical community and why God established it and wants us to be joined together is so that we may be able to support and encourage each other. But there's another reason, too. There's another reason, too. Another reason, too, is because God wants us to be able to challenge each other as well. You know, when you say, oh, I believe in God, but I don't go to church, you know what that tells me? Number one, either you really don't believe. That's 90%. But the other 10% are just people who are not willing to ever be challenged on anything. You know, if Ramir comes to me later at night and says, hey pastor, you know, um, I believe the Bible says that uh, I can do drugs. Uh, I'm going to say, well, uh, no, Ramir, I'm sorry, but the Bible doesn't say you can, you can do drugs, so get off the drugs, right? That's what I would say. And Ramir will get mad, and he'll say, oh, that Pastor Douglas, he doesn't know my situation. He's not. A, he doesn't know, blah, blah, blah. But because he's in community, it will allow me in brotherly love to challenge him, right? Um, and what happens is when you're rubbing shoulders with people who also love the Lord and who are different than you, it challenges us to be more Christ-like in our life. Because the guy sitting up on the hill, it's easy for him burning the candles and, and just doing spirituality his way. It's easy for him to rationalize away anything. As a pastor, do you know how many times, well, it's not like it's every week, but on a very regular basis, there are people who come to church, and they'll come to church, you know, Easter, Christmas, or irregularly, and they'll say, Pastor, God is telling me to divorce my spouse. I'll say, no, he's not. No, I, mean, with the accept, I mean, if he's killing you, then that's one thing, okay? But he's not calling, no. Just because you don't get along, that's not what God is. Oh, yes, pastor, I prayed about it. No, I'm sorry, that's not true. They always get mad, they always leave, right? But that's the function of biblical community, is that we are able to challenge each other. Because without someone there to support and challenge you, In love, of course, the challenge must always be in love. But without someone there to challenge you, then you just start believing your own press. You start rationalizing away everything that you think, that you feel like you want to do, and you start believing things like, well, God says I can get divorced. God says I can do drugs. God says I can do whatever I want to do. What ends up happening, though, is a need to forgive because this is where it comes down. Because when you're rubbing shoulders with people, and you're trying to encourage people, you're trying to challenge people. Along the way, someone's going to get offended. Someone's going to get their feelings hurt, right? And, you know, I'm sure that someone out here has been offended by me because of something I wore or something I said or I got offended because you wore something. And you know what? We all get offended. But God says, again, that if we can't, did I quote this already? I was supposed to mention it earlier, but the Bible says that if we're not able to forgive other people the little things in life, then God is not going to forgive us of the big things, right? It's in Matthew. Matthew? Matthew, right. And so the thing is, is that it is necessary for us to practice forgiveness with each other. You know, l- let me mention one other thing. Actually, I'll mention two more things, and we'll move on. We'll be done. Let me, let me mention two things. First of all, how many of you, when you get mad, lash out at your boss? Not many of you, right? You don't yell at your boss. But how many of you, when you get mad, will lash out at your family? Let me ask another question. Why do you think it is that lots of people lash out at me? Who kind of come to church on occasion? All right, well, that's true, and I appreciate you saying that. Someone else, someone else guessed that earlier, but that's actually not it. That, I mean, that, that does happen some, but that's not really it. I mean, it's true. I mean, I I hope that's true, but that's not really it. Why do a lot of people lash out at me, do you think? Well, why why do you lash out at your family but not your boss? Why do people lash out at each other at church but not in their workplace? That's right. That's right. They know that I will not hurt them back. That's right. I'm safe. I'm safe. You know, I can get mad with my mom, and I can lash out at her, and she's not going to stop loving me or being my mom, pretty much, right? And so what happens is, is that the church is a safe place, for better or for worse, to lash out at people. And so when people say things that hurt our feelings, the average person, uh, unfortunately I have to tell you, when when somebody tells them, I don't like what you're wearing, or I don't, you know, I don't like that you did that, or you didn't hold the door open for me, they get mad and they just leave. They just leave the church because they do not not really a part of the body of Christ, probably. But for those of you who are committed to the body of Christ, it is a great opportunity to practice forgiveness. Number one, when people lash out, I didn't say this in the first two services, but this is true. When people lash out at you in the church, consider it an honor. Because they know that you love them enough to handle it. I know it's a sick honor. You know, you feel like, well, I don't want this. I don't want this honor, right? I don't, I don't want this, you know. But it's the truth. They feel like that you love them enough that they can say what they need to say. And then, my friends, it gives you the opportunity to practice forgiveness. When we practice forgiveness as Christians, we are doing what God himself does. That's how powerful forgiveness is. Because even though we lash out at God, God forgives us. And God calls us to do the very same thing, that when people lash out at us to practice forgiveness, And to be willing to forgive them. And my friends, that is where biblical community comes in. Because if we want to love other people, we want to serve other people, we want to be joined together with other people, then we need to be able to forgive them. Those in Christ are together in one destiny. I know destiny is not a very biblical word, but I'm going to use it here tonight because all of us have one destiny. If you're here tonight and you are in Christ and you are part of the family of God, then you know what? When you stand before God and you pass into His dwelling place, you are going to know the other people that you knew here on earth. You will. I know that sometimes people on TV, they make it about angels and floating babies and that naked babies and that sort of thing with golden hearts. But it's not the way it is. You're going to know me. I'm going to know you. And you know what? I don't want to sit in a in a seat next to someone or across from someone for years and never talk to them or never know them or never be willing to forgive them because of some slight that they thought I had or I thought that they had, I'd be embarrassed by that. Really, I would be very embarrassed by that. You know, if you're here tonight and you're in Christ, your destiny is to be a part of the family of God with the people that are even here today, tonight, that come to church with you, that you see all the time. So my challenge for you is this, love them. You can't love them unless you get to know them. You've got to actually talk to people. I know in the evening service, you guys are are better than the first two services because the first two services are larger, and people click up and they go do their thing. But, you know, without being able to talk to people and get to know people, um, you can't do it. But to love and to serve other people and to do the greater good and be willing to forgive, that is your destiny because you are going to be a part of that family of God that God has created. Again, the Bible says that for there is one body and one spirit, just you've been called, the one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Let's pray. God, we just thank you tonight that we are able to come and be a part of the family of God. First of all, Father, I pray for everyone here tonight that they would be connected to that family, that they would not just sort of treat it lightly, but they would take it very seriously, that they are part of a new family if they are in Christ, and that they would work and support that family, that they would love that family, that they would do everything that they could to serve that family. Father, I pray for all of us here tonight also that, that we would just be focused on the common good, that we would ask not what I can get, but what ca- I can give. Father, I pray for each person here, your blessing on them. In Jesus' name.